Welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast, a place for women struggling to conceive to find emotional support, conception advice, and real talk. To me, being a warrior means true glory is in rising every time we fall, having the courage to be afraid, and being ready for whatever challenges cross our path. So welcome, warrior. You're on your way. I promise to support and guide you on every single episode. Let's begin. So I feel a little bit like lots of people out there are a little bit scared and nervous of talking about what we're going to talk about today. Um, And you know what? Like I'm sometimes nervous talking about this as well, but if nobody talks about any of this, then nobody is ever going to learn and be open and have loving conversations around this. So I think we need to talk about it. Let's talk about can you get pregnant if you're fat? And I have brought on today my dear friend, Nicola Salmon, who this is her jam. Like she is an expert on this to talk about it with us. Uh, and we're friends. So we're going to, we're like, you know what? We can disagree. We can have, you know, beautiful questions. We can chat about this in a beautiful way. And we hope that this is so valuable to you all. So this is a tricky topic, isn't it, Nicola? It is. And it's one that, to be honest, I even skated around when I was starting to kind of learn about it because I was really worried what people would think and what people would say. And I've had backlash. I've had people who've disagreed with me, but I really want you to bring up all those juicy, meaty questions and like be like, no, that's not right. Because that's what everybody's going to be thinking right when they're listening and, and watching this. And you know, like, even I pull myself up, I have a podcast, which I think is the the best podcast. It's all about 11 questions you should ask your fertility specialist. And at the very end, one of those talks about weight and it's like, it's an important thing to talk about. And we'll talk about that later. But I even cringe when I listen back to that and how my choices of language and the way that I've said things isn't right. So can we, when we start this, talk about what are some respectful things to say and what are people not really saying right now? So I fat like people, I feel like it's okay to say the word fat, like fat. Is it? Yeah. I mean, it's really personal, right? Like yes. language is so important mm. for me. I have reclaimed the word fat. So I'm happy for anybody to call me fat um, because it's a really neutral descriptor. It doesn't mean anything. We make it mean things. We make it mean negative things about people but actually it's just like being short or tall it just describes how my body looks right um but some people have been bullied with that word some people have been you know like that word has been weaponized against people so it's important to like to ask people but there are some words that are quite um you know like have a lot of negative connotations yeah so like overweight like that Mm. has an connotation that you are above a normal weight so that means you're not normal or obese is a really important word to avoid because it's a it's pathologizing being in a bigger body right it's it's calling it a disease it's this obesity epidemic that we talk about and actually you know body diversity and body size has been varied for in our entire human existence so it's nothing to be pathologized it doesn't mean that you are ill or that you're unhealthy 
we have just all these um and when you dig into it right when you start to look at why we think fat is unhealthy there's a lot of like racial connotations around it and it kind of it deeps really deep into our psyche around fear about you know race and about gender and it's it's a really interesting topic to begin to explore and to be honest I think I don't think it matters if you're skinny or fat or in the middle or wherever you sit all women are a little bit head fucked about this and about body shapes and what is normal or average or this or that and it doesn't even matter I suppose in you know if you're short or tall or whatever we're all a little bit head fucked about the way we look um and even you know like for me I'm about I'm currently about 10 kilos over my like running weight like the normal weight that you know I was for years and years um and even like it's I've done so much work on my self-confidence and my self-worth and I really want to talk about this today but that's probably the only reason why I'm not more head fucked and not more like I guess like orthorexic about the way that I'm eating and the way that I'm doing things is because I'm like, I feel comfortable. I know what I need to do when I need to do, or what, you know, I feel comfortable with my skin. So Mm. I'm not too bothered about it, but we are to some degree all a little bit head fucked. And I think as well, which is probably one of the main things that you talk about is that just because you're fat doesn't, like automatically mean that you will have infertility doesn't mean anything about you being fat it tells me absolutely nothing about your health or mm-hmm. any of your indicators like your blood pressure or your blood sugars or it tells me absolutely nothing it there's no like we use bmi and body mass index as this like tool but actually body mass index was created by a statistician hundreds of years ago based on western european white men there were no women in that study there were no any kind of um ethnicity diversity it's based on white men and how can we be using that as um and it was a population tool it was used to look at population health it was not meant to be um a tool used to individual health so why are we using that as a barrier to people accessing any kind of treatment never mind fertility treatment and it's bananas because even fertility meds, I heard, who did I hear it from? Maybe Nicole Jardim, but they actually just used to test it on men. If it, and I'm like, what? Why? Um, but, I mean, you can also, you can be fat and infertile just the same way that you can be fat and have PCOS or skinny and have PCOS. Like, they're not necessarily like this equals this. So I think that we definitely agree on that and nothing is a given and everyone can have challenges doesn't matter what your body is um but can you share a little bit about your journey uh to conceiving your children yeah of course so I was diagnosed with PCOS at 16 um and when I was diagnosed the doctor told me that I wouldn't be able to have kids so at 16 Mm. I was given that like information and I was Mm. like well at 16 I didn't really know what to do with it so Mm I don't remember like having a particular emotional response to that. I don't remember it being like a big thing. But looking back now, I can see that it had like huge implications on me. Like my grades went down, like my self-confidence and my confidence in my body. And, you know, all these things that I didn't really have an awareness of at the time were really impacted. So it affected like which university I went to and the choices of boyfriends I made. And, you know, really 
mm-hmm. strange things like that that only now I can see. And I had super irregular cycles. I was put on the pill to regulate my cycles, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And I um, was told to lose weight. Like that was all I was told to do. Those were my options in, in curing my PCOS. And, and that was really the beginning of a kind of decade long yo-yo dieting mm-hmm. regime of like trying diets. You know, I even went with my mum to different dieting clubs and, you know, all the big ones because, you know, obviously she was trying to look after me and do her best for me. And that was what the doctor had said. Mm-hmm. So that became our thing. And like I spent, you know, so much time and energy um, and I wasted so much of myself on being this person who was losing weight. And sometimes I did lose weight, but I always regained the weight. Um, and that became part of my identity, you know, being this person who was always trying to make her body smaller, which looking back now is really sad. And so if I stop you right there for a minute, a few things that I want to ask. 16 sounds awfully young for a correct PCOS diagnosis. So, I mean, it may be true, but I think that also like girls' hormones are a bit like all over the place at 16. Mm. So that's probably a bit premature, right, for a PCOS diagnosis. I think, I mean, it was unheard of. PCOS, like, was not mm. a thing that I'd ever heard of back then. Right. And I did have, so I did have um, cysts on my ovaries and I did have high levels of testosterone. Mm. Um, so, like, I'm looking back now, it would be a, a classic PCOS diagnosis. But, yeah, I mean, like, it was, it didn't really mean anything to me at the time because I wasn't aware mm. of it. We didn't have the internet, you know, can you mm. believe it? Back mm. in those days, so I couldn't research about it. I didn't know anybody else who had it. So, it was, yeah it was a really weird thing to be diagnosed with because I didn't really know, have any information about it. Um, And I think that, so number one, to say you have PCOS, you need to lose weight. I can't feel like that's, like PCOS is a motherfucker to lose weight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that really simplifies um, what is happening and actually I don't think really addresses the root cause of PCOS. Um, but also then, you know, I feel that sometimes, especially when you're in a bigger body, because of the way, you know, that we've just all been brought up, like we just, you can't, it's hard to unlearn what's, you know, magazines and society and things like that have told us. It's really hard. And it's really hard to let go of those judgments we have about ourselves, about others. Um, but I feel like a lot of women in bigger bodies, because they're fucked up in the head because of everything that the magazines have said, you know, and people can often be like, oh, like, I don't know, she's eaten a cake or something like that. But actually they've probably been on every diet under the sun (laughs) and are probably like, like at 16 years old for you to then be told you need to lose weight, then every time you ate a cake were you like, I hate myself a little bit more? Yeah. Oh yeah, completely. Like the pretty much I would say 90% of my thoughts were either around, I really want to eat that or, oh my God, like, can I eat that? Can I not eat that? To like, oh my God, I can't believe I ate that. I'm such a horrible person. Mm. Like that took up so much of my mental energy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got evidence and research now that shows that that kind of thinking is, you know, increasing your stress levels, increasing Mm -hmm. your inflammation, which we know isn't good for fertility, Mm -hmm. you know, like, all these things are impacting our health in a negative way. And it's nothing to do with the fat in my body. 
it's to do with like the messages that I've been given around what it means if I eat the cake or if I eat something else that's been deemed bad. Yeah, and it's almost like I, like we need to take a step back and actually have a look at like I guess how gentle we're being with ourselves and how gentle we're being with others. Um, and that's almost like the first step, I guess. <sighs> It's not even the first step in losing weight because losing weight shouldn't be the goal. I'm sure you agree with that. It, like being healthy, like relevant. Yeah. Okay. So you were 16. You know. So the next 10 years, it was like massive dent in your self confidence, massive like voice inside your head telling you that you're not good enough um, mm-hmm. unless you whatever like eat 10 um, lettuce leaves a day or whatever that is, and it all became I can imagine around what you ate and then talk to us about your fertility journey like so what has happened then around your fertility journey around having children things like that Mm, so I didn't really have a fertility journey what happened was that I got married that I met my husband that we decided to start trying for babies and I was expecting it to be difficult so we kind Mm -hmm. of planned that we were going to start trying um, in the summer and I was like kind of almost gearing up from it in my head of like okay well I've got to lose x amount of pounds I've got to do this I've got to do that you know all these things of all the things I have to do before I'm going to be able to get pregnant and even then I was expecting it to go to IVF and I was expecting it to be really difficult mm-hmm. um, but then we got pregnant before we'd even started you know the official like trying this mm-hmm. was with 100 plus day cycles this was me in a bigger body and to be honest, I was absolutely terrified because at this point I didn't know what I know now and I was expecting at every stage for something to go wrong because, again, that's the message I've been given. Like, if you're pregnant in a bigger body, you're going to get gestational diabetes. You're going to, you know, higher rate of miscarriage. You're going to have a stillbirth. Like, all these things I was expecting to go wrong and I spent my whole first pregnancy absolutely terrified that something mm. was going to go wrong. Um. This is me, I guess, playing devil's advocate. But do you think, though, that the research, like if the research says that there is, like let's go back to whatever it is Mm. that they probably use, which is BMI, that a BMI over whatever does result in a higher rate of miscarriage, I can understand like no one should live their pregnancy. Number one, well, what an anticlimax because I was expecting everything to go absolutely right. And my birth, my pregnancy journey and everything was a complete shit show <laughs> on all levels, <laughs> like trying to get pregnant, like <laughs> the pregnancy. But anyway, um, so, I mean, I guess that comes back to what we were saying before is that nothing's a given uh, and that exactly. everybody has, you know, You can have a shit show (laughs) with no indications of that going to be the case. Um, But does the research show, though, that women with a higher BMI are statistically Mm. more likely to miscarry or whatever it is? So the research, yeah, it's really important that we discuss this because the Mm -hmm. risks are shown to be higher. Mm -hmm. And we are told that these risks are almost a dead sir. Like you are guaranteed to get gestational diabetes and you are guaranteed for this to happen and that to happen. Um, they are really sensationalized. And if we look at them, because I've got some of them, um, it's really important that I tell my clients like what these risks are. So yes. if we take miscarriage, for example, 
people who have a quote-unquote normal BMI have a 10.5% chance of an early miscarriage. People with a BMI above 30, which is in the UK is the limit for like IVF, mm-hmm. um, they have a 12.5% chance of an early miscarriage. So it's a really similar rate. I mean, it's slightly increased, and I think it's really important for people to know that, mm-hmm. but it's really small. And a lot of the increased risks that we see can be explained by other things that are not to do with weight, like yes. yeah. you're dieting, because mm-hmm. like you say, like, tell me a person who's in a bigger body that's not yo-yo dieted their whole life. Yo-yo dieting is increasing inflammation. There's mm-hmm. my fate, my absolute 100 uh, percent favorite study is a study by Ohio and Rice Universities where they analyzed 200 other pieces of research and PCOS is an inflammatory condition uh, and what it, the research basically showed is that inflammation fans the flames of depression so mm. if you are in a bigger body and it, like you are like you know I, you, I can just imagine that you're walking down the street and you feel all eyes on you you go into a coffee shop and you feel all eyes on you it, you know you I can feel that and it the inflammation fans the flames of depression and then the depression fans the flames of the inflammation so they are like this like burning um I don't even know what you call it like meteor getting bigger and bigger and bigger and they are contributing to one another and then the more that, the more inflammation you have, the more head fuck you get. And so I guess, you know, like it all comes back to looking after yourself. But I can I can certainly understand that it yeah, it could be explained by things mm. like uh, inflammation uh, and other factors. And so talk to me about, yeah, like some of tell me more about what you know. <laughs> So, yeah, so going back to that study, like, it's really interesting because there's been more research about shame as well and the Mm. shame impacts that shame has on the body. And for people in bigger bodies, like, they will experience that shame from their doctor on a regular basis. So if you are in a bigger body, if you go and see your doctor, chances are they're going to tell you that weight is the problem and to lose weight is the solution, no Mm. matter what it is. I went to see my doctor recently, um, about three or four years ago, for mild um, baby blues, like after I'd had mm-hmm. my baby, lose weight. You know, oh, if you join Slimming World, then you'll feel so much better. It will really improve your mood and you're going to feel better. Like that was the solution. And it's, yeah. it's you know, no wonder pe- people in bigger bodies, first of all, put off going to the doctor longer because mm-hmm. of this shame factor and because they're afraid and they know what they're going to do, the doctors are going to say. Um, and people in bigger bodies get their diagnoses, get their tests, get their treatments later than people in smaller bodies because they've been told to go away and lose weight for six months. So again, things like that are increasing our risk because we are not being diagnosed as quickly. We are not being tested as quickly. Mm. And the situation that we're in now, you know, we're mid-pandemic is a really, I think, an important example of how that works practically in real life because what we're going to see now is people who are going to put off going to the doctor because they don't want to do like take resources away or put themselves at risk of pandemic. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see the very real implications of people putting off going to the doctor when maybe they would have gone earlier. And we will see increased risks of many, many different illnesses because people haven't been diagnosed, tested, treated as quickly. And this is what happens to people in bigger bodies all the time. Yeah. And... Do you feel, though, that there can be health benefits to losing weight? 
there are no health benefits to weight loss. There Mm -hmm. are health benefits to looking after yourself. Like there was a research study that looked at people in different body sizes. um, And they, some, one group did um, health promoting behaviors. So supporting themselves, looking after themselves. And the other group didn't, they were kind of a control group. Mm -hmm. And what they found is that the group that took part in the health promoting behaviors all improved their health, like their health um, markers. So they had better blood pressure, better blood sugars, you know, decreased risk of cardiovascular issues, all these stuff, regardless of how their weight was affected. Mm. So people who lost weight, their things increased. People who stayed the same weight, their health markers increased, improved. And people who gained weight, their health markers improved. So it's not about the weight loss. Mm. it's about the actions that you're taking every day and you know like we can't control that number on the scale like you Mm. everybody knows that like when you're weighing yourself every day like people will take clothes off make sure they go for a poo beforehand or like (laughs) it depends where you are in your period like there's all these things that we do right before we go on the scale yes yeah um that impact our weight and like our weight fluctuates monthly. Like as people who have menstrual cycles, our weight fluctuates depending on where we are in our menstrual cycle. Mm. It depends on whether we've just eaten, you know, like we cannot control that number. And as much as people will say, well, if you just have a deficit calorific, you know, like equation, it's really simple. Thermodynamics, blah, 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 blah. Like our health is infinitely more complicated than that. There are so many more variables um, you know, and people who've been dieting their whole lives, that has completely messed up their metabolism. So, for example, my metabolism is going to be very different from your metabolism, um, which obviously impacts how our bodies process food. And, um, yeah, like we cannot control the number on the scale. But what we can control is how we are looking after our bodies. And those things are going to have a positive impact on our health and our fertility. And the only impact that the scales are going to have is to mess up our minds and to make us feel crap Mm. about ourselves. Talk to us about IVF. And, Mm. you know, so we, and I'll tell you a story about something that happened at my clinic, but IVF clinics sometimes, oftentimes maybe, have BMI limits for things like IVF. Do you feel first, when we're talking just about fertility clinics, do you feel like fertility clinics like rush fat women through tests and things like that because they automatically assume that, you know, like there's a weight thing going on or is it that women who are fat get stuck in, you know, like the IUI slash medicated route because they don't see any, you know, point in putting them to like through to IVF what is this what how does it work what's the situation like so what I see mostly is people not being able to access anything so especially people like with a higher BMI so maybe over 30 they are told to lose weight and that is their only option they will not be given any medication so they won't be given like Clomid or Letrozole to support any ovulation they will not be given access to IUI or IVF um they are basically just barred from doing any kind of intervention even if the um if it's a heterosexual heterosexual couple if it's a male factor problem and the woman is absolutely fine no issues so they do need to go down the IVF route they will be denied it based on her BMI Mm -hmm. and is is that like so part of the so number one um 
everybody obviously deserves the option to have a family and weight doesn't determine who's going to be a good mother or a bad mother. But is there is the part of the reason why they do that because of, you know, risks with anaesthesia and breathing and stuff like that? So there is a risk of the anaesthesia, um, but that is for a very, very small population of people. Mm-hmm. We don't discriminate against other people in smaller bodies with um, different health conditions because they are going to be a bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will tell people who are in bigger bodies who have breathing difficulties to go and do weight loss surgery, which again, have to put under anaesthetic. So it makes absolutely no sense oh. <laughs> for me yeah. that... <laughs> They're going to be doing, you know, you can do this one type of surgery where, you know, like you're going to be under the same anesthetic, but you can't do this other type of surgery. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it makes a sense. And it's also an access issue. A lot of fertility clinics aren't fed up. They don't have the appropriate training to support people in bigger bodies and they don't have the appropriate facilities. So it isn't about the fact that they can't do it on bigger bodies. It's the fact that they're not prepared to either. They're not prepared to do the training mm-hmm. and make sure that they're capable or they're not prepared to get the appropriate treatment and like equipment that they need in place. And so there are some clinics though that don't have BMI limits. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. women who are, and would it be safe to say that the clinics who don't have BMI limits would probably be a little bit more sensitive, prepared to assist women, you know, like, and not just, you know, like prepared to give them fertility treatments, but also prepared to work with them, be more kind to them, communicate with them more effectively. Is it, would that be the case? Definitely, because because the norm, like the mm. normal procedure is to have this BMI limit. If you find a clinic without it, then they've thought about this and they've thought about um you know it's part of their ethics and their values that they want to support people in bigger bodies like it's an active decision so by going for a clinic with that even if you're in a smaller body i would kind of bet that you'd get really good care regardless of your size you will be like ah this is terrible my clinic (laughs) when i was doing fertility treatments put a like i'm cringing as i say this put a letter up on the wall like an email that they received from a fertility warrior at their clinic that had written I went into your clinic and I was told to lose weight and I was absolutely outraged but it gave me the kick in the butt of what I needed to do and I lost whatever I don't even I don't know what the weight is like 20 kilos and I'm so grateful that I had that wake-up call because even though I was initially outraged it got me to really focus on this uh, and blah 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 I then fell pregnant and had my baby naturally I just wanted to say thank you so number one I think that probably the approach wasn't right and I don't I think actually putting it up on the wall is quite a personal and possibly insensitive <laughs> thing to do uh, and I agree with you that like it shouldn't be about the weight it should be on health and it should be on a range of markers however do you think that sometimes people need a wake-up call? Maybe they're like, I know that there are many women out there who would be eating like lettuce all day and have a bigger body, right? I, like I don't, I mean, well, there's skinny people that would be eating junk food all day and still have a skinny body. But do you think that sometimes there are people that like need 
I guess we could, we would all um, see how I'm thinking about this as I'm saying it. We would yeah. all need sometimes need wake up calls for different things, wouldn't we? Mm, I mean, it's regardless of you know, like your body size, like mm-hmm. some people come into my clinic when they, you know, like for my acupuncture clinic and they're still smoking, you know, like mm. people sometimes mm-hmm. just need to be told like, okay, you need to start looking after yourself. And mm. in our culture, often women are put at the bottom of the list, right? We look after everybody mm-hmm. else before ourselves. So this is something that is endemic in everyone. It's not just in people with bigger bodies. And um, yeah, we don't give... We don't make people with smaller bodies like have this wake up call. Like some people will still go through IVF eating junk food every day. Right. Like, but they don't get shamed. They don't get told, okay, well you are not going to access this treatment. If you eat McDonald's every day, like there is no, they don't even get asked questions like about their eating habits or their movement habits. You know, like it is such a assumption that we make about people with bigger bodies that are doing everything wrong. Snaps to that clapping. I'm clapping (laughs) and I'm nodding to that. Because, like, if you look at me and I guess my beef with what happens, you know, if you look at, you know, some of our other friends in the industry, uh, Monica Cox, Sarah Clark, one of our biggest beefs is that uh, fertility clinics, like people are paying an exorbitant amount of money to fertility clinics that are pushing people into medical treatments without optimizing their health and well-being and that's both from a holistic like it's from a holistic perspective but both body and mind and for me I focus on the mind for you you are focusing on general inflammation and things like that but if you're there paying 15 20,000 dollars to someone who is looking at superficial factors perhaps and then just saying you can, you can't, this is what you need to do, that's what you need to do, but actually not looking at all of the other factors that will determine success. Yes, you can still get pregnant with IVF, but there are also, a study came out that showed something like that the average woman will take six to nine IVF attempts. It shouldn't be that way. That's That's a ridiculous number of IVF uh, attempts and there are women I know so many women yes and so you're absolutely right that do you feel that we need to be assessing everyone for their health promoting behaviors mm, I think we should be supporting everyone in finding you know what's going to support them and what's going to them feel their best in their body because you know our fertility is just part of our health like if there's something going wrong with our fertility, it means there's something going wrong in our bodies. Like something is not working mm. as efficiently and as effectively as it could do. Um, and we should be supporting everybody down that route. It, it's regardless of their size. Like it doesn't make any difference. Like their body doesn't tell me anything about them. We need to look into like their nutritional deficiencies and like what they've got going on emotionally and with their stress. And like, obviously like, our, like we said before, our health is completely you know, there are so many factors and we need to look at all those factors to make sure this person has the best chance of going to IVF. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because, you know, you're opening my eyes and I know that you are providing confidence uh, and understanding to so many people who are out there. Um, we, yeah, I, I feel like it needs to be a holistic game here and that we need to be where women need fertility treatments. I'm of the firm belief that Usually there's not just one thing going on. There's actually multiple layers of things going on and that's why we land at fertility clinics. And I certainly, we had no red herring, but I definitely think that there were multiple and there are probably multiple things going on with us. Um, but talk to me about what 
kinds of things you um, what what kinds of things are health promoting behaviors? Mm, so obviously, like food is a big thing that we talk about a lot in fertility and it's something that people in bigger bodies have focused on their whole lives. So for me, when I talk to my clients around food, I tend to make sure they are eating enough because so many of my clients are have so many, like even if they're not actively dieting, they're not following a specific diet, they have so many kind of leftovers of dieting um, that have kind of like just been embraced in their life in terms of like their relationship with food. Like there's so many things like, they won't eat full fat milk or drink full fat milk because of the fat in it. Like we were, you know, that whole nineties, eighties demonizing fat thing. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's looking at their relationship with food more and making sure they are eating enough food for them and making mm. sure they are finding the foods that really support their health. Cause we're all different. We're all in different environments. We've all had different histories with food. So it's about finding um, what works for them. And it's about making sure they have enough because the only thing that dieting will tell you is that you will gain more weight. Like that is the only promise that dieting can give you because once you start restricting yourself, once you are in that place of, even if it's just like limiting certain types of food groups, as soon as you restrict it, you want it. Like it is a psychological certainty. I've been like, down since- that road many times. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have cake you want the cake and that then causes the binging of the cake and that's a completely normal physiological response to restricting you know restricting will always lead to binging so by letting yourself have all the cake you want suddenly like okay once you've had your fill of it like I don't really want it anymore because I can have it whenever I want it so it's not a big thing it's about like unlearning all those things we've learned about good foods and bad foods um and then, so that's kind of the food part of it. Like I don't go into like, like obviously like medical nutrition has a, definitely has a role, but for most of my clients, especially like creating a better relationship with food is much more important about what, rather than what they're actually putting in their mouths. Um, looking at movement as well. Like for so many people who are in bigger bodies, movement is punishment exercise is punishment that's how I saw exercise most of my life it was only ever something I did to lose weight um and it was finally when I found a better relationship with exercise so my intention was to support my mental health rather than change my body was when like I found something that I loved and I found a way of moving my body that I loved and it had such a profound impact on my cycles like they went from 100 plus days to down to like 40 days regular wow yep and I didn't change my weight. My weight stayed exactly the same. My body composition stayed exactly the same. Um, but yeah, but my periods changed. And I think that was a really interesting insight into like mm. how movement, once you find it and something that you love and you look forward to, then, um, and that can look like anything, like we can move our bodies in a million different ways. It's just about finding what you really love, I think, and what works for you. Um, but yeah, also the basics, like making sure you're drinking of water and making sure you're spending time looking after your mental health like it's all the same stuff that we talk about with you know like for anybody in any sized body um but it's just about making sure as well that people in bigger bodies feel like they're worthy of that support because so often they have never accessed any kind of healthcare support where they've not been told just to lose weight and talk to me now i guess about the next part of your journey which i feel like 
we've been friends for a number of years now mm. and I feel like I've really witnessed you like come out and like just I don't know even what to call it like in this fabulous way fuck the haters like you know and I don't even know what to say but you know just in terms of your self-confidence and owning who you are can you talk to me about this next part of the journey that you know you've so we start off the journey that you've been told you have PCOS, you need to lose weight and everything, you know, has become just about your identity has become your weight, right? Or your weight's become your identity. Then you're you're expecting these huge dramas to fall pregnant and actually you just fall pregnant and have kids like yeah. complete anticlimax in the most amazing way. And then how have you now, t- like what did you have an aha moment what happened to, for you to then be like, actually, I'm fabulous? <laughs> so there are a couple of really important, like, turning points in that. So when I was maybe like 34, 35 weeks pregnant with my first son, um, I really decided I'd had my heart set on wanting a home birth, on a water birth. <sighs> and again, I was coming up against these ideas that people in bigger bodies can't have home births, can't have water births. And I was like, God damn it, you know, I really, really want this. I think my body's capable. You know, I am well, I am healthy. I had absolutely no complications during my pregnancy. And I was just like, I really want this. So I started researching and thank God for the internet. You know, I found a really good site called um, Big Birthers in the UK that that researched and told me all about um, the fact that people in bigger bodies can have water births and can birth from home. And it's not this massive increased risk. And the biggest thing that I learned from that was that I had control over my health. Because before that, I'd been the classic good girl of doing what I was told, um, listening to my doctors and just following exactly what they said word for word, believing that that their word was God and that there was nothing, you know, that they just knew everything and I had to do exactly what they said and everything was okay. And then this website was like, well, it's your body. You can choose. It's your decision. They cannot tell you that you have to birth a hospital. You get to make that decision around your body. And that just woke me up. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, okay. Like, um, and I went in to my, see my um, midwife, head midwife. We had a conversation. And she let me have a home birth. It didn't turn out that way. Um, but going through that process of having that really difficult conversation and advocating myself was such a revelation because I had never done anything like that before. I'd always just done as I was told. And it kind of like lit this like firing me of like, Oh, okay. Like I can do this. Like I have control. I have the power to actually make a difference to the decisions that I'm making. And that was really, really important. Um, And then once my son had arrived and once he was like maybe like six to 12 months old, I really became hyper aware of how I was talking about food and how I was talking about my body. Um, And I was still kind of in diet culture at this time. So I was still like thinking about how I was going to lose the baby weight and like, you know, like what I was going to do and all that crap. Um, But I was so hyper aware of him taking that stuff in. And really noticing like what I was saying about myself and about food. And I was just like, you know what, like this is just not worth it. I do not want to pass this stuff onto him. Like it has made me miserable. And I do not want his life filled up with this thinking about food and thinking about his body because he can go and do incredible stuff regardless of what his body looks like. So I just gotta knit this bud this bud in the head now and just so I gave up dieting, I gave up wearing myself and 
then I was kind of left with this big chasm of like, okay, well, if I'm not dieting, if I'm not weighing myself, if I'm not trying to lose weight, like, who am I? Like, what does this mean? Like, how do I exist in a world where I'm supposed to be losing weight all the time um, and just staying the same? So that was a really kind of like, holy crap, you know, like, what am I going to do with myself? But like, I automatically had so much more energy. Like, I was like, oh, okay, well, like, this huge weight has been lifted. Like, I don't think about food as much anymore. I don't think about what the next diet's going to be anymore. Like, I was just like, oh, okay. Like, all this emotional energy had been, like, freed up. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, Yeah, like, it was phenomenal. Um, So it was, yeah, I mean, and from that point, it was slow. Like, I was learning a lot about, about how to exist and how to like who I was without this kind of like weight identity and um I really knew kind of from my own like lived experience that dieting had a huge negative impact on my health like I had been dieting before my PCOS diagnosis because I was already in a bigger body um and you know I knew that all that kind of fat free stuff and not getting any kind of fat in my body was going to have had a negative impact on my hormones um so I began to kind of explore that idea and began to kind of like just really think about like okay like you know what does it mean like people and I was on Instagram at the time and I saw other people like follow started following people in bigger bodies um to try and get a sense of like okay well if they can be happy in their body then there's no reason that I can't be happy in mine but I was so afraid of um claiming this identity of being fat because I was so worried that that meant I was never going to be happy because we're sold this idea that you can't be um, happy and fat. Like the gold at the end of the rainbow is when you've got the thinner body and when, you know, like it's like you, I can only so much. I have, I found a list on my phone of all the things that I was going to do when I lost weight. So I had a whole list and it was, I'm sure it was in a diet book that I'd read, like make a list of all the things to inspire yourself so you can like motivate yourself to lose weight. And I was like, oh, my God, like I have been putting off so much stuff in my life until this beautiful, magical moment when I was, um, you know, a size whatever and like fit into my skinny jeans. And I was like, yeah, no, this isn't going to happen. So I went through that list and did all those things. It was just stupid things like going on a swing or like wearing knee high boots with skinny jeans. It was so stupid. But yeah, like those are things that I told myself I couldn't do because I was in a bigger body. Um. So yeah, and then I found um, on Instagram like this um, a community called Health at Every Size, and it kind of look it's people who've done this work for years and years and years. It actually started um, like in the seventies with queer, fat, black women, you know, trying to access basic human rights, basically, um, and that was the start of the body positivity movement. So I kind of. I just had to kind of absorb like a sponge all this information and all this research that I found about the fact that dieting doesn't work. Like there is no, not one single piece of evidence for any kind of intentional weight loss plan that shows it working long-term. Like all of them will be like two to three years and you can lose some weight. And then everybody puts the weight back on after mm. that, but they don't show There's a reason bit. why like, it's like a $90 billion industry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It blew my mind. I was like, Jesus Christ, I've been wasting my whole life trying to do this and giving them all my money and it was never going to work. Like mm-hmm. the relief of me not being a failure was huge. I was like, oh my gosh, like it is not my fault. Like I have been set up um, and it was just, yeah. And it's just been a slow kind of building of like 
getting these tools and now that I have my family because I got pregnant again we have another son and like I realize that I have this energy now and I have this capacity to advocate for other people in bigger bodies because I know like in a parallel universe that I would have been struggling with this and I would have not had the mental energy to to have this fight because it is a fight um, bigger women are afraid to stand up for their health and for their well-being often because they are just dismissed and they are shamed and they are judged the stories I hear from people like the way that doctors speak to them is just abhorrent like it is you would not believe the things that people are told like mid miscarriage like it is totally your fault that this happened you need to lose weight like people have absolutely no um empathy for people in bigger bodies and so mm because I have my children, because I've been like, you know, like I'm at the other end of this, I have my family, you know, I have the energy and the capacity to have these difficult conversations and to stand up for these people. Mm. Yeah, that which is amazing. Can you tell me, I, like we'll talk about the, you know, like what you do at a professional level in a moment, but can you tell me how some of the warriors feel when they come out of your one-to-one programs? What are some of the, I guess, changes that you see in people when they finish working with you I mean it's it's revolutionary like these people who've been told that they will not get pregnant without weight loss start to believe and it's a process because we have been conditioned from a very 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 mm-hmm. young age to believe that fat is bad they start to believe of what of, and realize what their body is capable of and that is mm-hmm. of having a healthy pregnancy of becoming a parent because their worst fears are that they will never be able to achieve that dream and that they are not worthy of achieving that dream because Mm. that is what they are told. And even just the fact that, you know, they are coming out of this having some hope and having the belief and having some tools to use to support their health um, in a non-diet way that's non-shamey, non-judgy. They don't have to have these endless mind monkeys going on and on about how horrible they are for eating the cake. Um, And they have the tools to begin to speak for themselves and to begin to kind of have that sense of okay like I can have difficult conversations with my doctors about this I can be difficult it's important for me to do that and if I can't do that then I have a team behind me that will support me like I will write to doctors I will write to healthcare professionals I will send them reams of evidence to like support my points of view and sometimes they'll listen and sometimes they won't but you know like we are doing everything in our power to make sure that they are getting heard and listened to and giving this their absolute you know the best possibility of working and that's so important advocating for yourself having a team and also like for you being the person who's willing to like lead the charge of the difficult conversations Mm -hmm. is I feel really important um so tell me about your top five tips for fat women who are trying to conceive yeah so I mean really they're the same for anyone like Fat women aren't any different from any other people. (laughs) So joyful movement is my top one. Like finding a way to move your body that feels good. And it doesn't feel shamey, judgy, punishy. Like do something that you look forward to. Do something that makes you feel good, that brings a smile to your face. And that Um, name, joyful movement, I love, I'm stealing that. Joyful movement, I love it. (laughs) Um, For me, that's weightlifting. Like I love lifting Mm -hmm. heavy weights. I just get so much pleasure from it. But for you, that could be like hula hooping or swimming or cycling or jumping or well, whatever. It doesn't matter. Can I tell you, it's Zumba on the Wii. Not Zumba in a class, Zumba oh. on the Wii, which that, they pretty much okay. don't do it anymore. Wii was a thing. Now it's not a thing. Um, <laughs> and I was, 
I rediscovered it. I hadn't plugged it in for years and then I rediscovered it during hashtag the pandemic. But then I discovered that it is not roller skates anymore because that's how I broke my elbow. (laughs) So I'll be sticking with Zumba on the Wii. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it could be anything. Like think back to what you did when you were a child, right? Like Mm. what things did you do? How did you move your body in a way that felt good when you were little? Like what did you do for pleasure? Because we just do automatically when we're kids. Like they Mm. run around, they play chase, they throw things and, you know, like, it's just natural and it's joyful and it's fun. So that's what movement should be. Um, ditching dieting and scales is my number two. So it doesn't matter if you don't have anything else in place. Like you don't feel like you have to have something. Just throw, I smash my scales in the garden. Very cathartic. Um, and I just, yeah, no more dieting. So that's my number two. Number three is getting enough rest. Mm. In our culture, we are kind of, it's mm. all about what you do. Do, 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 do. Um, and we need to be able to kind of learn how to be able to do nothing like just be and just like yes. have enough sleep have enough rest have enough downtime and I know that's hard especially right now because we have you know like some people are taking care of the kids and working and you know like we've got all these plates that we're and especially when we're at home but like just having that time to be mm-hmm. able to just breathe and just go okay like I don't have to do anything right now is really, really yes. important yes um, number four for me is exploring what your beliefs are around getting pregnant. And for people in bigger bodies, this could be like, I can't get pregnant when I'm fat. I have to be skinny to get pregnant. Or it could be that I'm not worthy of getting pregnant because I'm such a horrible person because I've eaten this cake and I've not been able to lose weight. And how dare I not be able to lose weight when I want to have a, a child, you know, and this is the most important thing in the world to me. And if it was so important, you know, like, it, you know, you can go on for hours with those thoughts and beliefs, but starting to identify yeah. them. I could say that with a fair certainty that near 100% of women who join the Fertility Warrior Intensive have the narrative of I'm not enough or I'm not doing enough or playing in their head, I would say your clients would be exactly the same. Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's again, something that as women, like, we're told that we've got to be superheroes, right? We've got to have the job, be the perfect <laughs> mum, like, do this oh no, and I'll make sure our self-care's on you know like you know like we've got like this completely unachievable list of things that we're going to do every mm-hmm. day yeah. and if we don't achieve that a completely unachievable thing then we're not enough so mm-hmm. we have this kind of yeah it's about looking yes. into those beliefs and I mean even then that feels like like kind of woo-woo mindset work like that changes how you see the world and it changes how you react in the world so it's really important to to look at those beliefs and to address them And the last one is about learning how to advocate for yourself. So knowing that you can advocate for yourself and learning how to kind of have some tools in your tool belt as to how to do that or know who you can like seek support from in how to advocate for yourself. Those are five awesome and very appropriately varied tips. Like that's awesome tips. So can you talk to us about, you know, where people can find you, what you have going on, all of that kind of stuff. So let's dive in because, you know, I dare say a lot of people will want to reach out to you to connect, mm. to support, to follow you. Uh, tell us what you've got going on and where we can find you. So I am most active on Instagram. My handle is Fat Positive Fertility. Um, so I post a lot of stuff on there. It also goes to my Facebook, Fat Positive Fertility. So if you're not on Instagram, you can find me there. I have a free guide you can download called The Fat Person's Guide to Getting Pregnant, which is just popping your email address on my website, which is nicolasalmon.co.uk. 
Um, I also have a book that I've written called Fat and Fertile, which is available on Amazon. Um, I take one-to-one clients uh, at the moment. And yeah, I've got a couple of courses kind of under the belt that I kind of I'm thinking about re-releasing. So yeah, whatever way, you know, like if you are just beginning this or if you just want to learn more about it, I definitely recommend getting the book Fat and Fertile. But if you know that you need support in this, then I'm yeah, still taking one-on-one clients at the moment. So and if you've got any questions about anything, like please do reach out. I answer all my DMs, all my emails, like from me. And I just, yeah, I'm really happy to support you if you've got any questions. And your book has the most divine cover. Like I drool <laughs> over how absolutely gorgeous your book is. So absolutely recommend that people get a copy of that. It's on Amazon. It's everywhere that you would buy a book, right? Like, well, it's on Amazon, yeah. so you don't need yeah, it. Yeah, it's on Amazon, everywhere. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so now we're going to do a quick speed round, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Okay, so what is your favourite quote or affirmation? So my favourite, like, quote or affirmation, yes. So you are worthy is my absolute favourite thing to tell people, and people don't believe it. People take a long time to get there, but just knowing that you you're born worthy of becoming a parent and nothing you've ever done in your life has ever changed that you are just totally worthy what is one book that you recommend everybody reads anti-diet by christy harrison is like the epitome of all this research and everything like that will change your mind about diet culture and if you could just like shake people or scream a message to people what message do you just wish everyone would hear that fat people are human beings and mm. we are worthy of respect and our, you know, basic human rights, regardless of our health or anything else about us. Yeah, I almost want to repeat that because I just think that that is 100% true uh, and that, you know, we definitely need to treat all people, no matter what their size, what their culture, mm-hmm. any, what their sexual preference is, with kindness Everything. and love. Yeah. Yeah. Nicola, you know that I appreciate you so much and I think you are such an inspiration. I'm so grateful that you've jumped on the podcast today and had what I feel is like a tricky conversation for so mm. many people and a lot of people probably want to, you know, sweep things under the rugs. Hopefully we've raised a little bit of awareness. Hopefully there are some fertility clinics out there who are maybe rethinking the words that they say, the way they treat mm-hmm. people. Um and the, you know, I guess the way that they assess people as well. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much, Robin. And any like any professionals, any clinics, you know, please do feel free to reach out to me, and I'm happy to offer some kind of consulting and support mentorship because it's you know like I'm only one person. I can only change like you know like support so many people. Like this needs to be something that spreads, and the clinics and other professionals need to be able to have these conversations in a, in a respectful and appropriate way too. But thank you so much for having me, Robin. Yay! Okay, Warrior, I need to ask you a huge favour. Did you know that the Fertility Warriors podcast comes out every Wednesday? So why not subscribe so that you get notified of future episodes? But also, if you liked this episode, and especially if you're a long-term listener, you would make my day if you would jump into your podcast player and leave me a written review. Seriously, I live for these. But more importantly, they tell the podcast gods that this podcast is helpful so that they can send it out to more people and you can help me help others in the process. I would be ever so grateful for a podcast review.
But lastly, warrior, I need to also let you know, I am not a doctor or a dietitian or a financial advisor. I'm me. And the information in this podcast is for information and inspirational purposes only based on my own experiences. So please don't substitute the information you hear on the Fertility Warriors podcast for professional advice. And know that girl in the world of trying to conceive, there are no guaranteed pregnancy or other outcomes. Please check out my website, robinberkin.com, if you would like to read my full terms and conditions. 